Good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis, and you're listening to Altitude Adjustment, the weekly podcast about people, politics, and professions. It is 2 p.m. Central Time on March the 20th, and we've got a really good show for you today and a great guest. I've had an opportunity to talk to her for a little bit, and I'm really excited about having her come on. We're going to talk about immigration, talk a little bit about what's the crisis going on at the border, and that's coming up right now. This program is intended for mature audiences only. Altitude adjustment may contain language, images, or other content that some may find offensive. Your discretion is advised. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Alrighty, I needed to change my graphics, but uh, welcome to the show, Tamina. Hi. Like to nice introduce... to meet you, Leon. Thank well, you so thank much for you. having me. Oh, absolutely. I, I really do appreciate you taking time out. I would like to let everyone know that uh, Tamina will be leaving early because she has an appointment. We've uh, had a little bit of a scheduling issue because of the difference in time zone. She's out west in Seattle, and we really do appreciate you taking time. At the bottom of the screen, you'll see her uh, web address if you have some uh, questions that uh, you'd like to ask beyond this show. Uh, one of the first things I like to talk about in, um, in the process of uh, asking Tamina to come on this conversation, I had an opportunity to look at uh, some of the things she's done. You've got a podcast uh, your own self, right? Correct? That's correct. It's called Tamina Talks Immigration, and I've had it since 2015, and I talk about immigration issues, interview notable people making a difference in immigration or notable immigrants themselves. Very good. I, I am not going to give you the long laundry list of accomplishments of Tamina, but I will share with you a couple of things that I found. Um, there, She has a couple of books. Uh, legal Heroes, uh, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era. Give me just a second here, and I will share with you. Uh, oh, okay. Anyway, so uh, Legal Heroes, uh, lawyers are trained to work within the system. We're not advocates for revolution. Most of us aren't even comfortable being labeled activists. But when the rule of law is in peril, as it is, like never before, it is our duty to not just practice law, but to protect it. This book tells the story of 14 legal heroes who have responded to the crisis of the Trump presidency in innovative and inspiring ways, from advocating for asylum seekers on the southern border to defending environmental protections in the nation's highest courts. And her second book, The Startup Visa, Tamina Watson strips away the rhetoric and uses her remarkable skills as an immigration attorney to make a compelling argument for how the U.S. how and why U.S. immigration policy is working against our best interest. And she explores why a bipartisan startup visa for foreign entrepreneurs, which the U.S. Congress has repeatedly failed to approve, is now more crucial than ever for securing job growth and economic prosperity. And I bring up this second book. So both of these books are available on uh, Amazon. Would you like to take a minute to talk about your two books? 
Sure. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity and highlighting the books um, and for giving people a little taste of what they're about. They're two very different books. Uh, actually, The Startup Visa was my first book. It made me an author for the first time, and I went into it with sort of deer and headlights. Um, I didn't really realize how difficult it would be to write a book, but I, I intended to write one and I got to the end of it with a lot of tears to show as well. But really, my clients are immigrants, as you know, and often they are American businesses who are hiring people. And we didn't have or we still do not have a visa for people who are coming to the US to make um, contributions here in a very impactful way. So if you think about the Zoom founder, who, whose visa was denied eight times to come into the US. Um, the Moderna vaccine at the moment that we're getting, uh, you know, co-founded by immigrants. You know, in this pandemic, the phone that we use, uh, you know, WhatsApp is a huge um, part of our lives, who, those of us who are using it. These are all created by immigrants. These are modern day immigrants. But my book also talks about immigrants throughout the history and why the contributions that we see today are not even thought about as immigrant contributions. The railroads, for example, uh, the Levi's jeans, for example, Nordstrom, the, the, the department store, you think of them as the fabric of our society, but they were created by immigrants. And so the book really advocates for a visa category that takes into account the modern day business methods so that people can use them in the visa categories to get here. And I'm actually working on the second edition of that book that will hopefully be out by the beginning of summer, because now we have millions of people out of work absolutely millions who have food insecurity, housing insecurity, and one way to sort of help those people would be to get them jobs, but you just can't create jobs out of thin air, but this could be one method, one way to create jobs in this country. So I'm working on that book. The, the, the Legal Heroes book really came out of the work I did over the last four years. From the moment the Muslim ban started in January 27, to 2017, to all the way to the end of the Trump presidency, there was one issue after another that was attacked uh, by this that president from an immigration perspective. And I played a role in mobilizing our immigration lawyers in our area, um, creating solutions so that the community could get uh, legal assistance. And it's a story of how the community came together to find solutions. But in, in addition to my story, there are 13 other lawyers from different backgrounds, uh, different legal areas who made their own contributions and impact to protect the rule of law and protect vulnerable people over the last four years. So I highly recommend reading the book, not only to learn what others did, but with the perspective of what you can do as an individual. A lot of the lawyers will say, well, I don't know how to do that or this. Um, but, you know, what we found and what will be demonstrated in the book is that once you take the action, no matter what that action is, you will want to do more because you see the goodness that you're bringing in the world. You do not have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be in the legal profession. Anybody can make a difference in this world. But these stories are just examples of people stepping up in crisis to help. So my hope is that it will be inspiring to others and for them to realize I can make a difference too. 
So let's start by jumping in the deep end. There is, um, so so I've got two quick questions and then I'm going to let my, my co-host step in because I know that they've got tons of questions and we, we have a short time. Um, so you're in Seattle, Washington, and the I, I questioning is, is our most significant immigration issues uh, way south of you or or how, how does how do you, you know, how does your I know you mentioned working with businesses. So help me understand how, you know, you being so far away from from I don't know, I, I want to call it ground zero, but from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. What I will say uh, to explain that is you're, there, there is definitely um, problems that are happening at the southern border, but immigration affects everyone everywhere in this country. Uh, and just to give you a quick snapshot, immigration is divided into family-based immigration, um, employment-based immigration, uh, asylum, uh, the humanitarian you know, issues, the, the, the umbrella under humanitarian um, causes such as refugees, but they, people are everywhere. So when you are a, a business in, in the United States, wherever you might be, you will probably want to be hiring people, whether it's an engineer from India or China, or, you know, a model in, in from Europe, like, you know, the, the ex-president had. Uh, the, these people will go any, anywhere in the country. And so immigration absolutely applies to every part of, of the country. Now, when you talk about a problem, when a federal law is changed, it affects everywhere in the same way. So if you took the, the Muslim ban as just an example, it how the people were affected at every single international airport in the country. And so lawyers flock to every single airport in the country. And if you think about uh, the separation of parents that happened uh, sort of in early 2018, a lot of those separations were happening, yes, at the southern border, but those people were then sent to different parts of the country. Washington state received about 200 of them uh, around June 2018. Who was going to help them? And that's where, you know, me and lawyers around this area played a part. So I think what your listeners should understand is immigration is a federal area of law and it affects everybody uh, in any, any part of the country. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to open the, I'm going to open the, because uh, that answered actually the second part of my question. So I'm going to open it up to my co-hosts. Um, did you have something you wanted to ask, Leonard? Yes. You mentioned that. <clears throat> Uh, the immigration at the southern border, and we know from the news reports that they separated a lot of families, children from parents. Now, you say they allow people to go all around the country. Did they allow the children to go with them, or did they keep the children at the border? Really good question. So I didn't go to the border myself, so I didn't get to see it firsthand. But what what it happened uh, is as a mechanism to deter people from coming in, the Trump administration for the first time took children as young as few a few months, snatched away from their parents and older children and put them in two different facilities. They charged the parents 
with, um, you know, it, crossing the border without status is a misdemeanor. Once you can label somebody as a criminal, you can then use that as a justification not to have their children with them. And so that 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 was used as a way to say, hey, immigrants do not come to this country. But in, in that process, they had separated thousands of these kids and parents uh, from from each other. But the facilities within those areas were so full that they had to send people to different parts of the country. And so when one parent was sent to Washington State and, you know, uh, I helped create a nonprofit so we could help those people in court. What we learned from that experience is that a parent who was separate, just to give one example, uh, from my knowledge, a client who was sent to Washington State, our mm -hmm. volunteer lawyers were able to release the mother but the child was not in the southern border anymore, somewhere on the east coast. And so then finding that child was not easy. Um, and what happened in the end, I, I don't know, but they were uh, taken to different parts of the country because the facilities were too full. Um, but what is important to know is, and you may ask this question later on, I, I just know it's a natural flow to tell you that right now there, the news media is reporting about the surge in people coming in. And what people don't necessarily appreciate enough is that the previous administration really took a broken system that was actually working well enough and they pulled it apart and dismantled it. They dismantled it in such a way that none of the re regulations and laws were really working for helping these people. In addition, the facilities and everything, you, you, none, of, none of the infrastructure that is necessary for this new administration to handle everything, you know, they have to rebuild it. And all of that takes time. What we do have we, is leadership that is compassionate and caring uh, and care about what's going to happen to people. So they're trying to process all of these things in a humane way it's not necessarily coming across in the news that way but that's what they need they are working towards now remember it took four years for the previous administration to dismantle it systematically you can't take that and fix it in 50 days this administration has been in office just over 50 days at this point but how many priorities do they have to cover already the country is going through this unprecedented pandemic where we didn't even have a vaccine um, policy or anything in place when this administration came into office. And now in a very short amount of time, this administration has promised 100 million shots for all of us. So when you have so many priorities that need to be handled, which one do you even go to first? But in my opinion, this administration's doing an amazing job. I do not go to bed anxious about what I'm gonna see in the morning and which client is going to be affected. And I trust with a little bit of time, this administration's going to put progressive um, systems in place to be able to handle the surge that's happening. But the flow from that is 
a lot of people ask, so why are they coming now? The situation in the Northern Triangle, the Triangle, that's always been a crisis-filled area. And there has to be, you know, some international plans and collaboration to fix what's going on internationally. But that's not fully in the control of our administration. But having said that, the Biden administration did release an immigration bill. It came in, uh, it was released on, um, I want to say 24th of February, 2021. It's the U.S. Citizenship Act 2021. And it addresses for the first time in a major bill what needs to happen in, in um, that part of the world, in Honduras and other parts of, um, you know, South America, because the root of the problem doesn't go away just by dealing what's happening at the at the border. So there are a number of things that are happening. And, you know, a lot of these leadership um, plans that are going on in the background, you and I are not seeing them. The news isn't seeing them. They only see them once they're implemented. But these problems are so complicated that you've got to think about different things that need to come together. So I really do believe that with time, this administration will be able to make a difference. We just really do need to give them some time. So did you have something, uh, Warren? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, these changes that need to be implemented, uh, who's going to be responsible for the changes? It will be the administration, but I think, you know, there are existing infrastructure, there are lots of nonprofits, um, you know, there are, there are agencies within uh, the government, and they all have to come together and collaborate. What we had with the previous administration um, is that they had agencies led by people who didn't believe in those issues. So if you think about the education department, we had an education secretary who didn't believe in public education. We had a land interior secretary who didn't believe in public lands. And mm -hmm. in that same way, we had leaders in those places that didn't believe that we want we immigration is good for this country. So they systematically um, pulled that apart. So regulations have been put in place to dismantle and take away the rules that worked. And so those do need to be put back together. So uh, these agencies do need to have a plan that they can execute. So okay, one more thing. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Trump ran on the idea of building a wall. So was that a good idea, a bad idea, and why? <clears throat> a really good question. So yes we need to have border protection but a wall was never going to do it a wall in my opinion was a, a vehicle to siphon money for that project that went to defense contractors likely and how much of that border wall has actually been erected and the parts of the walls that were erected, I remember, I, I haven't looked at every single aspect of the wall, but some of it was dilapidating already. Um, it also doesn't prevent people from coming in. You know, Trump himself in many speeches said people climb over the wall or they're going to dig tunnels under the wall. How is that going? To, why is a new border wall for him going to prevent that? It was never going to do that. Um, 
but protections have to be put in place. And the new bill that I just mentioned talks about technology solutions and modern solutions in which you can attract and put creative solutions in place. But a wall was never going to be the only answer. But what did happen is he used the wall as his vehicle to negotiate every single congressional act. And therefore, there was a lot of money that was put towards the border wall funding. But what has happened as a result? We have an immigration system. So just so your listeners understand, the Department of Homeland Security has three agencies, three arms. It has the Customs and Border Protection, and those are the people who are at the airports and land borders. There's uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Those are the officers uh, primarily within the US who are, you know, when you hear ICE has taken, you know, picked up somebody, they're essentially law enforcement from the immigration. And then there's USCIS, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. That's the agency that gives the benefits. They take the applications, they will approve a case. So three agencies. The USCIS is primarily funded by the application fees. So when somebody files an application for a visa, they will pay fees for that. Every form has a fee attached to it. Those fees are supposed to be uh, for however long it takes for an officer to look at that case. What we saw in the last four years is the Trump administration put block after block after block, obstacle after obstacle, which was dubbed as the invisible wall. So a case that could have been approved rather simply, was then faced with 10 questions. And I say 10 questions to simply explain it, but it was more than 10 questions. Those questions would then derail the case, put a lot more time into preparing. Preparing cases cost money and time and stress. It also cost time from the officer. So as 2017 came along and the Trump administration started to put one executive order after another, and they were not just for border wall and you know the Muslim ban. There were several other executive orders that were the foundation for these obstacles and policies to go into place. That these cases were not being handled properly. As a result, and especially when nobody saw a pandemic coming, there was already a backlog in cases. And in October 2020. Uh, and just in summer 2020, the administration said, hey, we don't have enough money for USCIS to operate anymore. We need to raise fees so that they can operate these cases. But what was happening is mismanagement, mis, um, mishandling of the way the cases should be handled. Eventually, they said we have enough money to keep going for a little while. But in my opinion, the administration needs to now revert some of that border wall money to make sure the USCIS has sufficient personnel to bring down this crisis level of cases that are not being um, adjudicated. It is a crisis level. The news media is talking about a crisis at the border, um, but nobody's talking about the crisis level of cases that are not being handled behind the scenes. And so there are many, many, many challenges. Some of them we're hearing because the news is talking about it, but there are many other challenges that are not making the news. So uh, one of the things that I had talked about in the previous podcast was that 
Um, we're not, so comprehensive immigration policy hasn't been established, but it's something that we've talked about for 30 years or more. And what we've done is we've done um, small minor fixes to this or to that. And my belief is that when you pick at the edges of something, you, you, be, you have policies that don't always, uh, that aren't always cohesive. Um, and so you had mentioned earlier that the system was broken, but that it was functioning. So, so my question is, um, what's it going to take to fix it? Um, and, and is just functioning good enough? Such a good question and such a great observation. Um, one of the things I tell people when I'm trying to explain to my clients is that just like you talked about the edges, I talk about the ankle bone connected to the knee bone, to the hip bone and so forth. If you're just fixing the knee bone, you're still going to be left with a lopsided body. Comprehensive immigration is that we do absolutely need comprehensive immigration reform. The laws that we have are from 1950s and 60s. They haven't changed, but the world has changed several times over. The, 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 the simply globalization, for example, has made the world a better place. I mean, a smaller place. Technology has, is now uh, allowing us to communicate with the far uh, corners of the world, no matter where you are. And business practices have changed. Um, the laws need to keep up with the way the world is not the other way around. And what we have is law that was not already working. And what's interesting is from what you say, Leon, is that prior to the Trump administration, yes, I, I absolutely wanted immigration reform. I was, you know, it was a hardcore advocate for it. But the moment we had the Trump administration come in, I'm like, I'll just take the broken <laughs> one. Thank you very much. Please don't touch it. Please just don't touch it. And so we are in a moment at, at this time with a new president with momentum for change. I mean, I think it's we need to mention that we have the first woman, the first African-American, the first South Asian woman as a vice president. That signals change to me. We have so many women um, and people from diverse backgrounds in leadership positions in our country. These things have never happened. I'm getting goosebumps telling you this or talking about it because we're in a moment of change. And this while the other side, the, the right side, and we did also see um, domestic terrorists trying to take our government down. So that side of the country is very um, heightened as well, but it, we also equally have moment for change. And I think this is when all individuals, especially your listeners and viewers, um, you know, what can you do to be part of that change? Call your congressperson, your senator, your, sen your, your representative and say you want to see change. What happens is the naysayers are always very loud. The people who are, you know, uh, they are the yay sayers, the yes people, they don't necessarily get their voices heard because, you know, uh, people are fixing it. I believe they're going to fix it. But the people who are naysayers are so vocal that 
they they absolutely get their voices heard. So it's a time in the history where we need to get that voices heard. But it's it's part of, I do feel like the stars are aligning for change, but we have to push it. It's like the wave needs to happen. So the immigration reform bill that was introduced in February is actually a very progressive bill. It addresses things that I'd never seen before. It addresses having right to counsel lawyers for people who don't have lawyers at the border or anywhere in immigration. And to make sure that your listeners understand, in the criminal defense system, there is right to counsel. You will be provided a lawyer because your liberty is at stake. That same right is not afforded to immigrants. And that means, and often it has even worse consequences. There are reports that show that if a, uh, an immigrant in court has a lawyer beside them, their chances of success increases 11 times over. We don't have that. Uh, vulnerable people in, in our system, the children, for example, they don't have right to counsel. So the bill talks about that. The bill also talks about addressing the international challenges that you and I just talked about. Um, it talks about a path to citizenship, of course, and it talks about, you know, a state-based visa. For example, states can decide who gets green cuts. That has never been in a major bill before. And so while this bill may not pass in the way it stands, it is a moment that demonstrates we can do something. There's hope for doing something. So coming back to your original question, Leon, about comprehensive immigration reform. We need it. We must have it. How we get there, I don't know yet. Two bills were passed just this week in the House, the Agricultural Bill and the Dreamers Bill. We'll have to see where they go. They're on the way to the Senate. We need Republican support. And uh, that will tell us where we go. But the, the long and the short of it is comprehensive immigration reform is essential. So Leonard, we'll, we'll let you have the last question and then we're going to let Tamina um, meet her other appointment and then we'll try to get her back because um, I think she's only given us a part of what uh, we could use as a, a, a community to understand immigration. So go ahead, Leonard, you take the last question. So you were just explaining how the immigrants that get lawyers and those that don't and how children or not guaranteed a lawyer. <laughs> and, you know, we was talking about our criminal system guarantees you a lawyer. When you're facing immigration, trying to get in and you get these hearings, uh, and you was talking about earlier that they could face this uh, certain charge that's misdemeanor. In general, is immigrate or immigration cases considered criminal cases or civil cases? They're considered civil cases. Mm -hmm. okay. The immigration court system is very different. Um, and one of the challenges under the Trump administration was that the immigration court system is not independent. It's not an independent court. It's under the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice uh, oversees and controls what they do. And that was a huge problem under the Trump administration. And this is why. Number one, the attorney generals in the past have never utilized the authority they have 
in the way we saw Jeff Sessions do it and William Barr do it. They took cases. The law says the attorney general can do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it was used as a sparing um, authority so that everybody else in the system can do their own jobs because you trust the judges to do their own jobs, the courts to do their jobs. But the attorney general, because they are, you know, in leadership authority, they took cases to basically change the law. So people who are victims of gang violence, domestic violence in, 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 the, uh, in, in the southern part of the, the world, they um, would come here because they were victims and being persecuted from gang violence. And they changed that law such that nobody could get those asylum cases anymore approved. And so that's one of the things that's already changed and needs to change back. Um, these courts were being dictated in what they needed to do. So you may remember from news articles that William Barr and Jeff Sessions kept saying, you immigration judge, you need to be handling 700 cases a, uh, a year. And, you know, they were basically dictating the impossible. Uh, they they changed in way the procedure for cases were being handled. That's what the dismantling of the system is. And so the immigration court, not only does it not provide a lawyer to you, it also has a, a system in which you will never win. And that happened in the last four years. So going back to what Leon said, would you take a functioning thing as opposed to an even more broken thing? I take the functioning one. But now we're in a time where we can bring it back to a better change. So there's a lot to talk about in that alone, but the immigration reform bill also addresses that. And so we'll see where it goes. Um, and Leon, I'd be honored to come back and talk more. It's very much a, a, an issue close to my heart. And before I became an immigration lawyer, I never really understood I'd love it so much and I'd, I'd be so good at it, and I could empathize with every single one of my clients because, you know, I come from an immigrant background. My parents were immigrants in the UK, but I went through the immigration process uh, or the entire process to get citizenship here. I've had the experiences at the border where the Customs and Border Protection officers will pull you aside and ask you questions. A lot of the things that my clients experience, I have experienced it firsthand. And on top of that, I love the law itself and uh, I want to see change and be part of it. So I would be honored to come back. Excellent. So. Um... Uh, what happens with the podcast is we do the, the uh, video podcast and we separate the audio out and put that up on um, the audio podcast sites. So I'm going to read the website address. And then if you could please let people know how they can reach you, www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com uh, is your website and other ways that uh, people could reach out to you are. Well, what, number one, I'd say sign up to our blog. We blog quite frequently because we have so much to say about the changing laws. Um, I have a Twitter account, Tamina Watson. Uh, I am on LinkedIn and I have an Instagram account and there are several accounts on Facebook. But I will say that I have just started a column on a, in a law 
online outlet called Above the Law. So I'm writing about a lot of the things that are happening. And most recently, I wrote about the various visa bans that remain in place that are not necessarily understood. So you can just Google me and you, there's no way you can't find me. <laughs> well, thank you so very much for joining us this afternoon. It's really been a pleasure. And I, I most certainly have learned quite a bit. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. You do the same. Bye-bye. Goodbye. I know you care about the environment, and maybe you want to learn more about sustainability and climate action. Then join me on the Climate Conscious Podcast, where my guests and I discuss the issues of sustainability related to the Caribbean and beyond. Together, we'll explore practical solutions for managing our impact on the planet. Tune in every other Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow me on Instagram at The Climate Conscious. Welcome to the so-called Oreo podcast, a podcast where Kia, Amari, Rachel, and Janae discuss all the awkwardness, hardship, and hilarity that comes along with society labeling you white on the inside and black on the outside, also known as an Oreo. Trying to mind my business and be black, that's basically about it. Through intimate conversation and candid interviews, we discuss everything from quote-unquote talking white you talk the way which i guess is supposed to be like you talk proper and i usually think black people sound ghetto and uneducated that's yeah, how that's i perceive says, when like, you say too. you talk so what, white you, mean you don't speak cubanics traveling while black it opened my eyes to a lot of just the small privileges americans have and then it also opened my eyes to as a person of color how difficult it may be to go to another country. It was just a lot of blatant racism. Dating as a black woman. There's just something about the black woman who just really wants to support and see the black man thrive. And even if I'm not in a relationship with a black man, I'm still like, gonna root for them. I'm still rooting for them. I'm always gonna root for them. I'm always. And a whole lot more. I just love being black. So join us every other Tuesday for intellectual, and funny conversations that will make you embrace your inner Oreo. I'ma light your shit on fire. That's I'ma tell your mama. What's up? <laughs> what, 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 what if his Roberta, yo, son cheated on me. But you know some mama be like, well, that's what men do, so why you surprised? Exactly. No. Old-timey bullshit. That is not, I ain't that, having that is it. not okay. Experience Altitude Adjustment, a weekly podcast about people, politics, and professions. It's built around user interaction, so join the conversation by visiting the lionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home. Okay, we're back. Um... So um, we are waiting on Warren to rejoin us. He had a, an issue that, that uh, cropped up and that he had to go to. Um, I don't know enough to continue to have the 
conversation about um, immigration. But uh, I was I was definitely very um, interested. I mean, she she touched on a lot of points. So there were a lot of questions that I had, and she as she was talking, uh, she was answering my questions. So I was really so I had mixed emotions about that because um, you know I wanted to ask those questions, um, and she was already answering them. So I was getting what I wanted, but. But kind of, you know, I love to talk, so I didn't get to talk. <laughs> but yeah. but I can't uh, complain. She was, she was definitely informative. Uh, I didn't know about this reform bill that, that she mentioned coming down the pike. But, you know, just with the toxic attitude in the Senate, I don't know if it will even get a serious hearing. And just listening to this past week, a bunch of the Democrats are not committed to getting rid of the filibuster, even the president. They just want to change it to where on certain bills, they could pull it out so it can get discussion. And, you know, when uh, the minority House leader, the boy from Kentucky, I forgot his name now. He's threatening the scorch earth policy and what he's going to do. McCarthy. Uh, with what? Uh huh. McCarthy, the House min minority. Uh, McCarthy's in the House. I meant the Senate minority okay. uh, leader. Okay. McConnell. McConnell. No, McConnell's he's not majority now. Um, oh, that's right. You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You're right, McConnell, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, they are the minority now. They are the minority now. Yeah, they're the minority they supposedly like now, that. but there's so many, but there's so many Democrats that like them and favor what they do. Uh, you, you know, the bill won't get a serious hearing because that's definitely something that Republicans are against, and they're going to just use their. Basically, like the get one guy was talking about, they could phone it in from their home that that they want to uh, filibuster this, and that's the end of it, unless it gets sixty votes. So, so my my thing is, uh, and we talked about this on a on a podcast that I don't know if they want to do big jobs, if they want to. Here's what happens. Here's what happens when they do comprehensive anything, comprehensive um, um, infrastructure. That means that the bill is done, and they don't. And and only thing that comes up is tweaking. When they put forth bills, everybody likes to shoot in their own pet projects. So they want to, um, so they can keep the money flowing by not doing a comprehensive bill and, and always working on these minor bills. So you get a bunch of minor bills. And so then you get all of these, what they call them, pork projects. You don't hear about them called pork projects anymore, but they're still there. So, so I don't know, I'm, I'm gonna say that that's one of the reasons that we don't have a lot of comprehensive bills where they work on the big projects. Um, so so that would be my concern. Um, I would like for them to do 
uh, an infrastructure bill. And then there's always things that you have to, when you do a, when you do a big bill that has a lot of moving parts, you are going to miss some of those parts. You're going to miss something. You're going to get it wrong. And then you have to go back and fix it. But it's a lot easier to go back and fix it than to, to, to work on a little bill or a little part of it, never addressing the, the root of the big problem, working on the little bitty problems and then have to go back and fix the whole thing because all of the little parts don't all work together right. And they, they run into each other. So, so I'm always trying to push for, let's do the big stuff. Let's get it done and out of the way. And then if we have to go back and, and do some tweaking that we can. And then so far on this inter immigration bill, we should be trying to get comprehensive immigration done. Get it done, get it signed, get it in the books and start working on it. And then if we have to um, go back and tweak or fix little parts or, you know, uh, do compensations for things that we overlook, it's a lot easier because you have an overall structure that you know what you're working towards. So that gives you direction when you are creating all of those smaller bills so that you know what you're working towards. So at this point, if we say um, uh, immigration, you know, what, what bill are you putting that through in immigration? Because we don't have the the overalls, the big comprehensive structure in place, then we have people that put forth bills that only um, serve their interest regarding in, in immigration. So in other words, if we have a big immigration policy that says, this is how we look at immigration, then every bill that comes through has to have that particular policy as its guiding principle. And right now what we've got is they create these bills and they only have their own personal immigration policy as a guiding principle. So it doesn't have to fit a, an overall larger strategy for accomplishing immigration policy. Well, we, just taking the last presidential administration, for example, one man just got to do all these executive orders and turn it toward people he wanted to turn it to. So there was the Muslim ban that he could barely get off his chest when he got in office. Then what was going on on the border, we wanted to stop those people from Hispanic countries from coming in, so he 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 put in this policy, not once voted on by Congress. Let's separate the kids from their parents as soon as they get in. Put the kid in, put the kids in cages, and as the the lawyer was saying, send people all over the country. The parents one direction, the kids another. Now when they come for the hearing, you got the families all jacked up and separated, you have trouble finding who the kids belong to. And you suppo you supposedly did this to stop 
child trafficking, child sex, and all of that, you made it more. Now we got some people that went home and their kids still at the border. So we got to find, try to find the parents to unite them back with kids. So even though, and like I said, it's just a toxic atmosphere by one particular party who's spreading most of the toxin. It's not, the problems are not going to get worked on and they're not going to get solved. And everything that you just said um, supported the argument that I just made. Because we don't have, because we don't have an overall new, um, comprehensive strategy for immigration, one person or one small group of people were able to create immigration law based on their own desire for immigration. Right. So we didn't, so, so all of those executive orders and we're not going to, we're not going to, we can, Trump signed them, yes. but, but there were several people that went into creating them. There were several well, there groups were certain, of people was, that went into creating them. There were certain them. people that, that, uh, like you said, not just created them, but who did actions to make them, to make them actionable for lack of a better word. Right. And so those, um, those people. This guy Miller, who's talking now, who's all talking now, was part of Trump's administration. He was one of the people that did it. Right. So there were several people forgot- that were that were involved in that, which is what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that is that some people were able to implement their own personal immigration policy. And that so by having an overall uh, comprehensive uh, strategy when those people put forth their personal views of immigration people could look at them and say that doesn't fit our overall strategy as a nation so we won't implement it that's the part that's that's the the reason you have an overall strategy that's the reason you have the 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 framework to work in is so that when you encounter things that don't work to support that strategy, you know to get out of them. Right. To 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 not to duck out of them um and not implement them. And that's what we're lacking. So we can do we got um because we don't have a a infrastructure strategy uh, somebody could put in a military bill a bridge in a community that nobody's going to use the bridge because it brings money to their their community. But if you've got an overall strategy, the request for that bridge has to meet the overall strategy to even be considered. And so I think that is the what the harm that is happening in our government is that because we we haven't taken a look. And anytime you implement any big strategies like that, you have to set time periods to go back and make sure that your uh, strategy still meets the needs because the world does change. Things do change. Materials change because you might have set forth in your previous strategy that you use these materials. 
those materials may become very rare or not available anymore. And you may have to go back and adjust your strategy. But the fact that if you don't have a strategy, people can do well, whatever they want to do. Well, that's, that's what is in our political climate in one of our houses of Congress here in the United States. There is a group out there that wants to prevent what you talk about and they work toward it every day. Like in the immigration, we talked about the, the wall. That's what Trump, one of the things Trump ran on, this wall, this wall. And like the lawyer said, there's parts of it that's already dilapidated. They can't use, they, they built 600 miles of fence. And the fence won't keep the people out. People are scaling the fence. Uh, but what he did when he couldn't get it in the budget, he took from military budget for military projects to build the wall. He declared a national emergency and it had to be done, which gave him the power to go to other parts of the budget and just take money out. And I remember that case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And one, one case he did on the wall with the Supreme Court, and he was told no. I think they allowed him the case where he could take money from the military and use it to build that wall. And that's what he did. And like that was one of the first things Biden stopped. He stopped the wall when he came in. So a couple of quick comments, and then we can either try to address them. Uh, or not, but at least they get in. Um, one comment, there is a legal way to come into the country. That is, of course, true. Um, we also need to have a comprehensive reevaluation of the legal way to come into the country. Because uh, when our way of coming into the country was established was 1950s. And um, so ways of travel, the ways of uh, communicating, the ways of enacting on, on American soil have changed. And so maybe we need to reevaluate um, the legal ways to come into the country, to be considered a citizen, um, to, to in, in, a, in, in, in enacting immigration policy. Uh, one of the things that uh, Tamina talked about was um, entrepreneur visas, which she said hasn't even been touched. And that impacts how businesses function on American soil. Well, also for the person that said there's legal ways to come into the country, one of the legal ways was uh, trying to get political asylum. Mm -hmm. And instead of changing that by law, which we have in this country, you had somebody who went up there and just did it of his own and did a lot of illegal stuff. There was no legal ramification of laws for separating families at the border and stuffing children in cages like they're animals. That's not by American law either. That, that wasn't a legal way to come into the country, but they did it. 
and then to have the attorney generals go tell these judges what they have to do. He, he's supposed to be out of that. There's a lot of areas for the attorney generals to, to act, and they didn't act in the ways they supposed to. Again, they went over some specific with a man acting who didn't go through law, who just did what he wanted to do. <clears throat> so, 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 so for people that always tell me there's a legal way to come in, what about the legal ways we acted against our established legal uh, immigration in. law? Yeah. So then the other statement is, is it even possible to create a holistic strategy? And as someone who's worked in uh, business, there is always a way to create a holistic strategy. The, the point is, is that you create your strategy and then you go back and you realize that some, when you initially created your strategy, you forgot some things and you put some things in there that weren't necessary. And then you go back in and make the changes. The whole point of having a holistic or bigger strategy is to set direction to set the direction of the project, to set the direction of whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. Once you have direction, then you know what fits in your direction and what does not fit in your direction. But you don't know that if you don't have a strategy that you're trying to achieve. If you don't have a strategy that you're trying to achieve, then everything's possible. You can do anything and they can be competing ideas. If you don't have a if you don't have a immigration policy that says you know we're trying to find a way for immigrants to come into the country then one person puts a strategy in that says when people come into the country they have to register and another person says they can't come into the country unless they're already registered well those are competing ideas and they're both very you can put them both into place when you don't have an overall strategy that says we're attempting to allow people to come into the country. So that when somebody puts into place a strategy that says, you have to have be registered before you come into the country um, and that no American can go to another country and set up a registration office. We know that that idea does not fit with the overall strategy. So we can't implement it because it, it it's counter to the overall strategy. So you have to, you have to have, in order for things to be consistent, in order for things to be, to work together, you have to have an overall strategy. There is no other way to do it. Yeah, I think we I agree on that, but isn't the problem uh, with the strategy the fact that we can't come to agreement on what the strategy should be? As far as the partisanship goes, I agree. So the so so what you're saying is, we need to find a way to create a an overall strategy. We need to find well, a way. I'm sorry, who? Well, it, like you said, the the question was, is it possible? It's possible, but with the political mood that we've established in the capital is unlikely. So it's I, I want to be more optimistic, possible, but it's unlikely. I want to be more optimistic and say um, it's going to take um, 
a more concerted effort. It's going to be difficult, but it, it's, I won't say it's unlikely. And, and, and you are, let me say, I am not saying that you are wrong. You are right. The likeliness right. of it is extremely in doubt. But I believe in people's ability to accomplish. So I'm going to say, I'm going to take your, it's unlikely and um, push it into unlikeliness. <laughs> it's well, not like you said, you just, you're a lot more, on this particular subject, you're a lot more, oh, what's the word you said? Uh, optimistic. Oh, I forget. Okay. You're a lot more, you're a lot more believing it will happen. And what they've shown me was it won't. Uh, pessimistic versus God, you, optimistic. Well, I'm pessimistic. You're, what's the opposite <laughs> of pessimistic? Optimistic. Optimistic. There you go. You're a lot more <laughs> optimistic about it than I am because of what's going on. And, you know, just like when I mentioned earlier about Mitch McConnell making his threat to scorch the earth. Oh, if you even touch this. And I'm like, he's going to scorch the earth anyway. He's changed stuff for his thing. Why, I'm, I'm, other, I'm, other, I'm other thinking, why you got the power, we use it. Okay, so we're, we are at our time. Uh, I'm going to give everybody uh, 30 seconds to say what you got to say so that we can get out of here. 30 seconds, you go, Leonard. Uh, you don't have to say anything, we can move on. Don't feel, don't I feel obligated. But I can't. Huh? I'm sorry, what? I want to be optimistic, but I can't. All right, Warren, anything quick? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm somewhat optimistic. I think uh, the partisanship is the biggest problem. We all agree on that question is how do we compromise that's the word we've been throwing around for a while is compromise and working together and like Leonard said you know the power is power is power and if you don't use it you might not get what you want all right that wraps <laughs> it up for today we will be back with you next Friday that is our intent but if we don't make it Friday we will definitely be here Saturday um Thank you both gentlemen both and we will look forward to seeing you guys next time. Thank you. Altitude Adjustment. And thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website thelionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes and comments, so please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment, because it matters. And as always, look out for the other guy, because they may not be looking out for you.